Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Ahí va a llegar el gol del Arsenal Ophil. Marca Mesut Ophil. Bellerín, otro defensor, otro disparo, Monreal, gol. Marca el futbolista español, marca Nacho Monreal. Pim, pam, pum. This is Arscast Extra. Hello and welcome to another Arscast Extra, as always, with James from Gunner Blog. James, good morning to you. Good morning to you. Good morning to you. A sombre good morning. Mm. No, no Lees anywhere to be found. No, it is quite a sombre morning. We've got a, a difficult weekend to unpick and unpack. Although yesterday, something amazing nearly happened to me. Go on. Something amazing nearly happened. Well, it didn't nearly happen to me. It nearly happened to someone else. But I was almost witness to one of those things that you hear about in your, your life. I was going up an escalator, standing okay. there behind a, a woman with her young child, I guess he was probably three or four, right. standing there, going up the escalator, right at the very top. The boy's lace gets <sighs> caught in the bit of the top of the escalator, and I'm standing there thinking, oh, my God, it's happening. It's finally happening right in front of me. I'm going to see someone who gets their foot stuck in the elevator or in the escalator and they get sucked underneath and killed by an escalator. Greatest child, essentially. It's ha- I can't believe this. This is one of those urban myths. It's something you, you hear about your entire life. And then I had the moral quandary thing going on, you know? Should I help? Yeah. Should I prevent the death of this child? Or is Should this an opportunity? Yeah. Or is this an opportunity to to witness something that people have spoken about forever and ever and that so few people get to see. I mean, I've never seen it happen in the flesh. It's one of those things you're taught as a child, isn't it? Beware mm. the, the the dreaded mouth of the escalator for it will eat you. Yeah. I've never seen it take place. And I mean, what did you decide to do in the end? Before I could make my mind up fully, and I was they erring, I'll admit, I was erring on the side of just watching. I apologise. Sure. I'm like making no bones about it. Maybe it makes me a bad person. Maybe if it had gone a bit more serious, I would have reacted. I would have tried to help. I probably would have, but I was curious, you know, sure. in, a, in a grisly way. The lace mm. was there and the mother was like, oh, oh. And the kid was realized something was happening and he was just beginning to freak out. And, and she gave him a good yank and his lace came free. And then she, she sort of scolded him. She admonished him. Which seemed really? a bit harsh, seemed a bit harsh to me. Like, Had his laces been undone? Was that the cause? Yeah, his lace was undone, for sure. So maybe uh, he undid his lace, or maybe it was bad parenting on her part to go on an escalator with a child with a lace that's free and uh, able to get caught in the, in the mouth, in the teeth of the escalator. But there you go, yeah. it, was, it was almost uh, just a, an, amazing, an amazing thing. The escalator went hungry. It mm. waits. It waits for more prey. Exactly. Exactly. It will happen soon. Soon there will be a child going up on his own with a lace or something. But there you go. That I mean, was. Uh, yeah. it, that's probably the only thing that could have saved your weekend, really, uh, watching a child be minced in an electronic <laughs> staircase. <laughs> 
Uh, yeah, it would have been an improvement on what came before, that's for sure. How was your weekend? Uh, I mean, in the light of that, comparatively uneventful, I didn't see any children in any kind of mortal peril. So right. I was free of moral quandaries. Um, I basically, I did that thing where you watch the first football match of the weekend and then it upsets you so much that you spend the rest of the weekend pretending that football doesn't exist. I yeah. mean, that, a few listeners might be familiar with that feeling. I think so. I think so. I didn't watch any other football at all uh, <laughs> over the weekend. The I think there was, I can't even, I don't even know who played. Who played? I don't oh, know what they did. Actually, to be fair, you know, it wasn't all bad. Man United got beat, did they not? Oh, I Newcastle? heard that. I did laugh. I had a bit of a laugh at that. Yeah, that's good. Yeah. Um, Mo Salah scored. It's just another weekend. Yeah. Uh, but, I mean, no, I didn't pay massive attention to it. I mean, obviously, United losing was, uh, I mean, some solace, but not really. Not really. They're still, what are they? 11 points clear of us yeah. with a game in hand. But is this not the way for us to to gain some enjoyment from weekends when we play away from home? It's now a case that you kind of accept that, you know, the potential for us being absolutely shit and having a poor result is very, very high. So in order to get some enjoyment out of the weekend's football, you need to take it from the misfortune of others. Maybe. I mean, I've essentially written those remaining fixtures off. I, I wonder if, you know, you, you and I should take a holiday every other week now because these away games, it's like, if they're, if they're not going to turn up, I don't really know why we should. Look, we're committed to the cause. What can I tell you? We're professional and, uh, you know, we won't just hang a lazy leg out at podcasting like Granite Xhaka trying to block a cross. That's not our style. <laughs> It's definitely not our style. We're we're here. We're gluttons for punishment, and uh, I guess so is everybody listening to this. So welcome on into another podcast. We'll try and make sense of what happened on Saturday in the North London Derby. Obviously, defeat for Arsenal one 0 Harry Kane's goal. Let's start with the team, James. What did you make of the team selection? Well, I was a little bit surprised. I think we spoke about it last week. I was mm. expecting a back three. Yeah. Um, and so when it was a back four, yeah, that, that caught me a little bit off guard. And I worried at first it might be El Nenny in his kind of hybrid role that he played at Swansea mm. that sort of transpired to be neither. Um, but my concerns were relatively ill-founded because I actually thought, in the first half anyway, because I thought we did okay in that first 45 yeah. minutes. What did, you, what did you think about the, the team and the way we set? I was surprised that we went with a back four to be honest I can sort of see the logic of putting an extra man in midfield but the way we played against them in the previous game at the Emirates when we won 2-0 I thought he would just try and replicate that again because mm. it was such a good performance on the day we controlled the game we kept Kane really quiet we kept Deli Ali really quiet and uh, yeah it was a bit of a surprise to me particularly away from home and particularly given how our our form has been uh, away from home as well so that was that was a bit of a surprise but like you I agree I thought the first half was relatively even I thought there were moments um from an Arsenal point of view where we looked positive or we had chances to do more with the ball than we did I think Mkhitaryan he he had a, a bad day, didn't he, in terms of his decision making and some of the yeah. some of the passing and even Mesut Ozil. Arsene Wenger afterwards he was talking about how we, you know, it's not acceptable to to miss chances uh, like we did, and I don't think we necessarily missed chances. What we missed was 
the chance to make chances. You know, there was one Ozil one, wasn't there, where he ordinarily you would have expected. Was it was it a two on one? Was it Mkhitaryan and Aubameyang against one Tottenham defender? That, I think it was against yeah. Trippier, yeah, and, and he just didn't quite get the pass <clears throat> right. I mean, the thing is, yeah. even then, you're probably still another pass away yeah. from the shot at goal. Like it's relatively early on in the chain still. I know that they felt like big opportunities, and I think that. It's tempting to focus on those, and I think I probably focused on them a little bit in my post-match video because I've kind of accepted how bad we are are at defending. Almost, it's like, well, if you know, I feel like the trade-off that we often make as Arsenal fans, or that we're trying to make at the moment, is mm. well, we can't really defend, but if we can be an elite attacking unit, then maybe that's kind of our, our way out of this. Yeah, and we 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 weren't at that level in terms of our decision making, which was. A bit disappointing, I guess, given how well the likes of Ursula Mkhitaryan had fared the previous weekend. But, mm. of course, that was at home. It was at home. Yeah, this weird mental block goes on. We might talk about that in, in a while. But, yeah, I think the first half, we had chances to do more with the ball without really making any, um, what you'd call, clear-cut chances to score goals. I think the the only... Uh, real chance for either side in in the first half, if I'm remembering correctly, was Harry Kane's uh, header, which header. I, you, you would probably expect him to score in most mm. circumstances. He had, I mean, he, he scored the goal. Obviously, he scored the winner, but he had a bit of a he had a bit of a nightmare in front of goal. Yeah. Apart from that, you know, the the uh, the chance in the first half you would expect him to score. There were a couple in the second half that you would have expected him to score. But look, we, we we'll come back to that. Um, Nil-nil at halftime. And there was the offside, of course, by the way. Did you have any complaints about that? The, the flag for Aubameyang? I thought it was really tight, really tight. And um, look, we got away with one last week um, at Everton. Aubameyang was miles offside against Everton and wasn't flagged. And this week he was marginally offside, maybe. And he got flagged, and that's just the way it goes. I don't really think we can complain about that to to any large extent, because the, I mean, it would have obviously he would have had to finish, and you know, you you back him to finish. I think in that situation, but it doesn't really explain why we were so poor in the second half and why we came out in the second half and immediately were on the back foot. I think Mustafi had to make a block within 10, 20 seconds, went out for a corner. You could see that either they were really up for it or we had come out sort of with our brains switched backwards. I don't know what it was, maybe a bit of both. Yeah, I mean, it it did honestly feel like they had had a really rousing team talk, you know, and sort of Pochettino said, okay, you've done okay in the first half, the game's there to be won, you know, get out there, get into Arsenal. And Arsenal, I mean, I don't know what had happened in their changing room. Some sort of hypnosis tape played, Steve Bold's soothing voice lulling them to sleep Mm. because they they just came out with, I mean, intensity is the word, isn't it? There was absolutely no intensity. And this is in a North London derby in front of, you know, 80,000 people. It was... It was bizarre that the degree to which they switched off in that 15 minutes. Mm. And you could sense that the team knew things were going wrong. You could see that. Yeah. We, we, we have this ability to very publicly demonstrate our, our panic. You know, sometimes even, even Petr Cech, and I think Cech was uh, responsible for keeping the scoreline down with some really, really good saves. But mm. a player of his experience, there were just a number of times where you would expect him, look, just calm it down. There's loads of time to go. 
we can try and rebuild some momentum here, but his distribution, he was rushed. He wasn't accurate with his distribution, and that helped, I think, create some more of the panic. It didn't uh, allow us to to just get on top of it. And um, as a team, when things go wrong, we just don't seem to be able to correct it. We don't seem to know what it is that we can do to make things better. And uh, in that's it, we just end up making it worse in a way because everyone tries – Perhaps uh, um, individually, you can see people going, oh, well, I'll try this or I'll try that. But as a collective, it doesn't work. And and Tottenham really should have scored more goals than they did. Yeah, I mean, there was that period just after half time where it felt like we were being completely steamrolled. Mm. I think it is a collective problem, of, as we've said many times. But it is interesting, I think, when you look at kind of the personalities of our two centre-backs on the day, Koscielny and Mustafi, I think they've got great individual qualities but that neither of them are necessarily the type of player who kind of emanate a sense of calm Mm. you know that when 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 the going gets tough there can be that they can be very reactive and a little bit panicky sometimes and the fact that even Czech got caught up in that is telling I mean you know he's as you say so experienced and that's I mean what he was brought into the side to be this kind Mm. of cool head at the back but his footwork at times betrayed some nerves and when you're making someone who's who's been everywhere and done everything in the game that anxious, you know, that's that feels telling. And mm. I thought we just went to pieces in the second half. I mean, because basically once the goal went in, it felt like the whole plan, the whole manner in which we'd approach the game was out the window and there was no there was no plan B. There was no alternative. It didn't feel like there was any kind of sense of, well, if we go a goal down, we're going to shift it around like this. You know, even the substitutions that happened in the second half felt very kind of ad hoc on the fly and a bit chaotic. And mm. we just didn't have any structure really from that point on in the game. Yeah, I mean, it's it's uh, it's like we go into panic stations when we concede a goal. Mm. like it's the worst thing that's ever happened to us and we we just can't find a way to cope with it rather than saying, okay, we've conceded. It happens in football. Teams concede goals all the time. Arsenal, for fuck's sake, we should know that as well as anybody considering sure. how many we've let in on the road. And there just doesn't seem to be anybody out there on that pitch who can just uh, show a bit of leadership and show a bit of organization. Say, okay, we've conceded. This is not good. Let's dig in. Let's stay organized. Let's do our work defensively. Let's uh, try and rebuild some momentum and try and get the ball and try and put a bit of pressure on them. Instead, you know, the the 10 minutes after the goal, they could have scored another three or four. It's absolutely yeah. nuts to see it, that there isn't enough experience in that team to to cope with that kind of situation. You know, we um, we run around like headless chickens. Um, on the goal, any complaints about uh, it being a foul? Not really, not at all. I, I kind of think it's similar to Calvert-Lewin, actually, for Everton last week. That Kane was just up early. Mm. Um, he has arms, and I think that's kind of it. I, I don't think there's more to it than that. The, I, I, what I thought was criminal was the way in which Davis was allowed so much space to yeah. push the ball into the box. When you do that... When you've got a striker like Harry Kane in there, you, you're always running a risk. And it was really sloppy the, the way he was given so much space to swing that ball in. Yeah, yeah. We didn't close down the space. We didn't close down the player. I think Xhaka hung a leg out at it and the uh, the cross came in. For me, it's, uh, it's a, just a great centre-forwards goal. Good jump, 
Uh, good momentum. Koscielny was nowhere. He didn't even get off the ground. A bit like Kolasinac last week. Mm. And I don't think we can have any complaints. Arsene Wenger certainly had no complaints afterwards. Monreal went mental, of course, you know, claiming a push. But that's what you do, um, you know, to try and uh, just in the, in those situations. And I think Arsene Wenger was reacting to Monreal's protestations more than what he actually saw. And in hindsight, when he saw the goal uh, afterwards, he said, that, you know, it's it's not a foul. Uh, yeah. You know, you, you flip it around and you ask yourself if an Arsenal player had scored that goal at the other end how bad would you feel if the goal was chalked out for what was deemed a foul you know and you go mental if that goal had been chalked out so um, at that point though I thought you know there was something innovative about the way we approached um, the rest of the or or the the next 10 minutes or so Harry Kane obviously was um, was dangerous. So in order to cope with that, the best way to cope with that was to decide that basically he didn't exist and we just ignore him. <laughs> and the chances he had to score, there was the header, uh, a volley from yeah, the edge the of the volley, box, and then there was, a, yeah. there was a header from, what, six yards out? Like nobody yeah. anywhere near him again. What is going on with this team when you see Harry Kane, who is probably the best striker in the Premier League, if not one of the best strikers in, in Europe at the moment, he scores a goal and you then just ignore him. Or just, I just don't get why you don't redouble your efforts. A, to stop the ball getting to him and B, marking him in the box. We had a warning, didn't we, in the first half, you know, w- w- with that mm. chance that he got. And it's like we pay no attention. It's like we pay no attention whatsoever to where the danger is coming from. Yeah, it's bizarre. It's almost as if having gone a goal down, we were so focused on, right, we need to get back into this game. We need to score a goal that all defensive uh, concentration just completely went out the window at the worst possible time. And really, we could have been blitzed in that period. I mean... This was a one-nil thrashing, if ever you saw one. And if you look at the attempts on goal of the two teams, I think it, it makes the difference clear. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I, I mean, we, we're so incapable of dealing with Kane in these derbies, and it happens time after time. It's not as it's not as if this was his first goal in a derby. We've been warned so many times, and I know Arsene Wenger spoke about his quality after the game and said, you know, he scores goals against everybody, but he I always, think- almost always scores against us. I think the. The, the the game at the Emirates earlier this season, is that the first time he didn't score? Quite possibly. And I think that's probably not that surprising, is it? Because in some ways we are a striker's dream. Mm. Score a goal and suddenly we'll, we'll free you up with more space. Yes, please. Would you like some more? Just waltz straight through our, our <laughs> midfield, our defence. We'll just stand here and watch you. Yeah, it's it's uh, score one get one free. Yeah. At Arsenal. <laughs> but look, you know there were other chances. Czech made a brilliant save from Eriksson uh, from a free kick. Mm. Uh, Deli Ali went through clean through on goal and poked the ball wide. Lamella late on cracked the ball wide again in behind our defence with our central defenders just all over the place. Uh, Koscielny and Mustafi, like you say, individual qualities, uh, but you know both of them as a partnership. It's, it just doesn't seem to be compatible in the way that you would like your central defensive partnership to be. It reminds me a bit of Koscielny and Vermaelen, in a way. It does, yeah. I mean, um, it's, it, it is always tempting to hark back and look at previous examples, but that really is one that that does uh, ring bells because, you know, neither of those have... For all Mertzaka's issues, there was something about him, you know, he, he, he had... 
he's got that authority on the field, that sense of calm. He never he, he seems to have a tactical understanding and appreciation of the game that neither of those players quite have, as good as they can be individually in duels. And maybe that's why they look a bit better in a three. Mm, yeah, yeah. I think in hindsight, Arsene Wenger will regret not playing the three at the back. Uh, given the way that we were we were opened up in that second half, but you know you get to eighty five or eighty eight minutes or whatever it is, and you're still only one nil down. And I, know. I mean, <sighs> incredible to be in it. I mean, it was a remarkable thing that we were even had a chance to nick something. It would have been hysterical had we done so. Mm. I mean, what did you make of the the changes that we made in the course of the second half? You know, there was a lot of talk about the fact that Aubameyang uh, found himself pushed out to the wing. Did you have any thoughts on that at all? I thought that was a bit silly, really. Mm. I, I think when you buy a clinical penalty box striker who scored 141 games and 200-something games for, for Dortmund, primarily in the penalty box, sticking him out on the left wing, regardless of how quick he is and what pace he has, it just does that not make you less threatening? You know, I know he mm. wanted to get Lacazette on, but... Crikey, you know, we could have played fucking two, could have played the two of them or one off the other a little bit. But, you know, for all this supposed adaptability that we have, we we don't appear to be able to find a way to play two strikers. It's always sticking somebody out wide, whether it's Welbeck, whether it's Lacazette has done it at times this season. Now it's Aubameyang. And very rarely does it have a positive effect on the way that we play. Yeah, I mean, you know, we hadn't really created anything of note going forward. And I do think that adding a second centre-forward just would have given Spurs a, a bigger problem to consider. I mean, ultimately, it would have forced them to adapt their shape or at least adapt their thinking in the game. Yeah. And, I, I yeah, I, I, don't, I don't really get it. I mean, I would even potentially question the deployment of those two players in those positions. I might have had them the other way around, but... There were other changes. I thought Iwobi came on, but then he was uh, spent a lot of time in the centre of the field. Ozil stayed wide. I, I, I wasn't convinced that that was the right shape for us. It was we, we we looked ragged, and obviously, what you know, I understand we had to chase it, but it meant that we were very very open at the back, and it, it really could have been. Mm. I mean, I, I feel a bit nauseous saying it, but it could have been three or four nil or, or anything. Yeah, but it or wasn't one it was, one. Yeah, exactly, <laughs> or one one. And look, we, we can talk about how uh, you can play a certain way and not get what you deserve from a game, but deserve hasn't got fucking anything to do with it really. When it comes to football, we've seen it countless times before, where we've played really well and haven't scored the goals and have been punished for it because. We let the opposition in late on or we, you know, allow them uh, a chance to score and equalise or, or to take points off us. And we had those chances to do that from this game. So as as poorly as we played in that second half, and we did play really poorly, you can't ignore the fact that we had chances to get something from the game. And both of them fell to Alexandra Lacazette. And I mm-hmm. think on both occasions, he was found wanting. Uh, the first one... Yeah. Hector Bellerin, I, I want to give a little bit of a shout to Hector because I thought yeah, he was game, I thought he was our, by far our best outfield player. I think he's being asked to do a really, really difficult job, which is essentially play the entire right wing or the right side of the, the pitch on his own from a defensive mm. point of view and from an attacking point of view. Uh, I thought he was really good defensively against Son, particularly in, in the first half. 
and late on, uh, he had the, the, the energy, he had the commitment to get down and create that great chance for, for Lacazette, which he, um, which he volleyed over. It was a chance which kind of reminded me of one that Alexis scored maybe in his first season against Manchester City. It was the same kind of position, different yes. kind of a pass, different kind of a ball, but on the volley, Alexis controlled his into the into the net that day against Manchester City. Lacazette's, I don't know where the ball is now, it's probably still orbiting fucking moon somewhere. He hit it that high, you know? Um, yeah. He should have done better with that one. Yeah, I, I mean, Bellerin, I thought, as you say, was very good. He sort of he is playing more than one position for us at the moment. And I felt for him that the goal came from that side because, you know, you're not going to get much defensive support from Ozil on the right-hand side and Shaka didn't get out to cover, but he was up and down all day. That was a great cross. And when, you know, I mean, a similar opportunity fell to Kane, didn't it, earlier in the game? And he didn't score, but he did at least keep it on target and keep the volley from the edge of the box towards the goal. I mean, Lacazette was was wild, I thought. And Mm. I mean... Yeah, it, it, it wasn't great and he didn't show much composure there. And the second chance, probably our best chance of the game, wasn't yeah. it, from Iwobi's pass? Yeah, I mean, he should have scored. I know people were talking about him squaring to the back post, but I think when you're a striker, when you're clean through on goal, when you're in injury time in a derby game, in a big game and you need... Uh, you need a goal, then you've got to sh- you've got to shoot from there. So I had no problem with him taking on the shot, but mm. it's a bad miss. It's a bad miss from there. I know the keeper came out, the angles were tight, and blah blah blah. But you know he was six or eight yards out with just the keeper to beat, and he put it wide. So it, it felt or looked like a, a finish without a great deal of conviction, didn't didn't it? You know he. Yeah. He seems like a guy who's got the weight of the world on his shoulders. His confidence is really low, and you could see that uh, in his reaction, and you could see it perhaps in in the the way that he took those two chances. He does not look like a confident player. No, and I think you could see that at Swansea even, you know, a couple of weeks ago, mm. uh, just before the transfer deadline. Did you see Arsene Wenger's comments after the game where he spoke about, I think he said the players, he might be suffering from a lack of confidence because he's seen a competitor come in it's not exactly the sort of reaction I mean you know Arsene doesn't know the inner workings of Lacazette's head but it's not it's not what you want to hear is it no and particularly when Wenger was asked last week or you know after Aubameyang signed he said you know have you given Lacazette any assurances about his playing time and if he was concerned about his confidence he could have said something along the lines of, no, you know, but he'll have chances. He'll, he'll be playing in the Europa League, et cetera, et cetera. I've still got a lot of faith in him. But, you know, he said, no, this is a competitive environment. You don't give people assurances like that, that they're going to play. It's a competitive world, basically, you know, challenging him to um, to step up, which, I, you know, I understand that point of view as well. I understand a manager taking that tack with a, with a player because, you know, he wants to provoke them into a performance or provoke a reaction from them in the face of this competition. But, you know, to, to use the, the arrival of Aubameyang as um, not an excuse, but to sort of even bring it up just doesn't make a lot of sense to me. Yeah, it, but, it, you know, it doesn't bode hugely well, given that we're... We're probably going to be quite reliant on Lacazette, certainly over the next two games. You know, we've got the the Europa League tie coming up. I, I, I yeah, I, 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 he did look a little bit broken the way he took those chances, yeah. and um, 
hopefully something can happen in the middle of the week to to restore his confidence because mm. as a striker confidence is probably it's got to be one of the most crucial things to have in your locker isn't it and and yeah. he just seems completely absent of it yeah. I mean it, it the people can talk about the signing and how much of an impact that might have had on him but I do think that a record of one goal in 13 games is probably the bigger factor in this. For sure, for sure. And look, he had a chance and he, you know, he's not stupid. He knows himself that he had a chance to to really get his season back on track. You know, if you score that goal late on in a derby where you haven't necessarily deserved to take anything from the game, it's a real positive thing, both for the team and for for the player himself. And yeah, I think the the lack of confidence is apparent in the way that he he took both those chances. You know, he's desperate at this point to score a goal, and one goal in thirteen, as you say, is is a really poor record. I remember Olivier Giroud going through a period where he didn't score for twelve or fourteen games, and, and people yeah. went crazy. And you know, I think Lacazette is a good player. I'm not suggesting that we should write him off or or that he's you know some kind of war criminal because he's not scoring but you need your striker to score goals in games like that and when presented with opportunities like that if he hadn't had a chance to score a goal when he came on fine that's down to our lack of creativity for example or or an inability to make chances but when you make two good chances for him and he doesn't take either of them then you know it's it's a real worry yeah. I mean, he probably never endured a run quite like this. I mean, I don't know his, his Leon record intimately, but when you look at the amount of goals he scored over the past three seasons, you can't imagine he's had too many spells like this. So no. it, it's, a, it's a new challenge for him, really. And I guess also not being necessarily the main man is, is something of a new challenge. So it, this is a, a critical period for him. And obviously, I really hope he can come through it because he's a huge investment. And I do think a talented yeah, I, I do too. But, uh, you know, clearly one who's got some problems right now. The the upcoming game in the week against uh, Ostersunds uh, is a chance, I suppose, for him to get back on track because, um, you know, the, the quality of the opposition, you would think, might suit a player like Lacazette and, and maybe suit a team like Arsenal. But uh, obviously, you can't take anything for granted. And the fact that we're away from home in difficult conditions as well is, is going to be a thing. But um, yeah, that's that's a, that's a different thing altogether. But um, where, do, where does this all leave us then? Because, you know, after deadline day and then after the Everton game, there was an understandable surge of optimism, I think, among the support and around the club. Is that, <laughs> has that already evaporated or do we all just only support Arsenal at home from now on? I mean, what do we do? Um, I mean, I don't know. I think the Everton game was was really encouraging, but it was always caveated by the, the knowledge that it was just one game. Mm. And that, uh, you know, Tottenham, for example, was going to be a, a far bigger test of of whether or not this team could perform on the big stage and big stage away from home. And I think we got the answer. We got the answer. Maybe we're a little unlucky not to get something from the game, given the, the good chances we had at the end. But when you look at it overall, we were outplayed in that second half. They created far more than us. They looked more dangerous than us. We look like a team that has got real problems. And when you look at our away record this season, we have got real problems. We've taken 13 points from 42 on the road. 
We've conceded a lot of goals. We're not scoring many goals away from home. And Arsene Wenger said, well, that's why we're so bad, because we're not scoring and we're conceding too many. But that's not, that's not the why, really, is it? That's just what's happening. That's not an explanation as to why this team, why there is such a big disparity between the team at home and only Manchester yeah. City and Manchester United have better away our home records than us this season. We'd, we've got more points at home than Tottenham have, than Chelsea have, than Liverpool have. So there's a there's a problem that I don't know what the solution is. I don't really know what the explanation is. We're, you know, we can talk about psychology and mental blocks or intangible things like that, but I don't know how to fix it. And Arsene Wenger certainly doesn't seem to know how to fix it because this is a problem that goes back um, a bit beyond this season. I think uh, Orbino, um had a great stat, which I'm going to just uh, read out here. Uh, our last 26 Premier League away games, we've won just seven, drawn five, lost 14, Conceded wow. 35, or scored 35, conceded 45, 26 points out of a possible 78. I mean, wow. that is, that's a really, really bad record. And it's not like, okay, we're, we're just having a few difficulties in the last few weeks. This is, um, this is an ongoing problem for two seasons now. No, I mean the the girls' four record on on the road is is particularly bad this season. I think it is fifteen goals we've scored away from home, but five of those were against that Everton side that we that we also mm. beat heavily at home. I mean, I think the, the interesting thing is that in recent seasons we've always looked at Arsenal as a team who are kind of able of doing half the job. You know, either they can defend or they can attack. They're never capable of sort of completing the whole thing. Whereas I really feel when you look at this team, there are big problems at both ends of the pitch. You know, our defending is poor, but it's not counteracted by swashbuckling attacking. You know, it's... The, the the problems are endemic and right through the spine of the team, and a lot of that has to do with a, a dysfunctional midfield, which isn't helping us at mm-hmm. both ends of the pitch. But but basically, this is a team that sort of doesn't really work, and you know, we keep hoping to break into that top four, but we are not in the best four teams in the country. But, no, so it's. I mean, I think for me, I think top four this weekend. I'm just like, well, I, I can't really see that at all at this stage. No, but something absolutely extraordinary. Yeah, it would do. It would it would mean an almost flawless end to the season and if you've watched Arsenal up until now, you'll realize how difficult that would be for us to win pretty much every game between now and the end of the season. We also have to go uh to Old Trafford. Uh, we've got to play Manchester City at home and by the time we play our next league game which is on March the 1st, we could be 11 points off the top 4 with what 11 games to go, something like that. So um, it would be a real, basically a miracle for this team to finish in the top four this season, which means that the Europa League becomes even more important for Champions League qualification. Um, so, yeah, I, I just, you know, I'm not saying we should ride off the league. I'm, my worry now is that the manager is going to find it really difficult to keep these players motivated. I mean, there was a, there was a lack of it um, I know we're talking about an intangible and something we can't measure in any real way, but when you looked at that second half and you mentioned a lack of intensity or a lack of spirit, you know, the most fight we showed at the end of the game was Wilshire 
getting narky with Lamella. And yeah. like who wouldn't who wouldn't get narky with Lamella because he's a he's just a little prick. Um but <laughs> I that, know what you mean, but that felt like almost yeah. like a token gesture. Like I I as a fan, I was like, oh right, yeah. But yeah. it was after full time. It sort of there was nothing none of that in the game. There yeah. was none of that in the game. It didn't feel like a derby in any respect, really. Yeah, and you know what? There was a was it the one-one draw a couple of last season? Maybe one-one draw at home in the North London derby, where I think they scored an own goal. That big, gigantic bin man-looking fucking centre half guy. What was his name? I don't think he plays there anymore. Kevin Vimmer. Vimmer. Oh God! Yeah, yeah I think Vimmer. he scored an own goal. But that was the flattest. North London derby I can remember seeing for a very long time. And I think when your team, for all the talk before the game, they, you know, they released one of those videos, didn't they? What does the North London derby mean to you? And, you know, the players are standing there going, everything. You know? <laughs> yeah, right, guys. You know, you see, what did you see it though? Like, I'm, I'm, no, I'm not being critical of Aaron it, Ramsey, but you know, Aaron Ramsey's not necessarily the most animated. Not you Mr. Know. Charisma. Yeah. No. What's, what's the atmosphere like in a North London derby? Electric, you know, it's <laughs> it was just like ah, oh, this manufactured bullshit, fucking stuff. To show it on the pitch, show it mm. on the pitch, and how you play and how you. And I don't mean that you should go around kicking people or fighting people or anything like that. But if you're up for a North London derby, you don't do what Granite Xhaka did, for example. You know, when there's a a chance to block a cross from a dangerous position, you don't just amble over and you know wag your leg at it. It's uh, it's in how you play and how you approach every aspect of the game, how you react to a setback in a game. Can you react properly or do you go to pieces? And it feels like a team that knows that in the league, they're not going to achieve what the manager wants them to achieve or what's expected of them because they're not going to finish in the top four. They look like a group of players who feel that that is out of reach now. And that's a worry for me, you know, given there are 11 games left in the season that the focus, subconsciously or otherwise, is going to be on the Europa League and the performances are going to come in the Europa League, perhaps at the expense of performances in the Premier League. Quite possibly, because I, you know, I can't see the degree of rotation that we've seen in the Europa League prior being enforced this time round. I think it's going to be, you know, as close to as possible the, the first team, isn't it? I think it has to be. Yeah. Like, there's no excuse for any resting at this point. Um, this is a competition which could have a significant impact on the future of the club for next season. Um, and I'm leaving the manager aside, but if we win the Europa League, we get into the Champions League. And I think if perhaps we are looking to make a change in the summer, it would be great for a new manager to come in and have the Champions League and have Champions League football. It would be exciting for people. It would be good for the players. It would be good in terms of what we might want to do uh, when it comes to recruitment. You know, it's it's possible to sell uh, ambition to players in one season when you're out of the Champions League. You know, Manchester United have dropped out of it. Chelsea have dropped out of it in recent years, but they've bounced straight back into it, more or less. Um, maybe it took United a couple of goes, but... Uh, I think when it comes to player recruitment and everything else and, and rebuilding this team and rebuilding a team that really does need to be rebuilt, you know, we're, we're looking at defense. We're, you know, we've done something up front and you can see how there is a collection of players up front who maybe you, you don't necessarily need to add a great deal to. But when it comes to midfield and defense and even goalkeeper, 
there's a lot of work to do there and and being yeah. able to perhaps do it with the lure of Champions League football will make that job easier. So there's no excuse, regardless of whatever else is going to happen in this summer, for us to do anything other than give 100% in the Europa League in terms of how we approach the games, the teams we select, uh, and everything else. It's got to be strongest possible team in every game in the Europa League. I completely agree. I think that it's the Champions League, you know, it's not quite the financial boon that it used to be. It's not quite as important, but it is still a big draw for players. I think, was it Ken Early on the Arscast last week talking about Mo Salah? And as a child, he dreamed of playing in the Champions League. I think for a lot of players, a factor. um, And it will be something that would be very beneficial to us if we can secure it. And I, I, you know, it's interesting, isn't it? You see people questioning already, well, what what would that mean for the future of the manager? I, I think that is a separate issue, to be honest. Like, I think whatever happens with Arsene, we need to finish this season in, in the best possible way mm. and desperately try and get that, that Champions League place. And, and, you know, if we can win the Carabao Cup in the meantime, that would be great too. Yeah, look, who's, I'm, no one's going to complain about winning a trophy. Mm. But Carabao Cup is not, you know... Look, I'm, I don't even want to qualify it in any way. You know what I'm going to say. You know, it's not the competition that every player dreams of winning. But, sure. uh, you know, if we win that trophy, I will be delighted. And it's, uh, you know, it's something that we should add to our, our trophy cabinet as other teams who like to trumpet that there's been power shifts and everything else remain absolutely trophyless. Um, you know, maybe they can invent the fucking second or third place best runner-up trophy. Um, they can <laughs> they can have a bit of that. But look, we'll take a break here. We're going to come back with your questions and more in part two right after this. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's, a, it's a T-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. It's a brand new year, and what better time to get going with that online store you've been thinking of? Those I was there when Arsenal actually scored a goal t-shirts would fly off the shelves right now. And to get yourself up and running, you need Shopify. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage, all the way through to the did we hit a million order stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout, up to 36% better compared to other leading commerce platforms, and sell more with less effort with thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. 
Sign up for a $1 a month trial period at shopify.com slash arsblog, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash arsblog now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash arsblog. Welcome back to the Arscast Extra. This is the part of the show where we answer questions that you send to us on Twitter, at GunnerBlog and at Arsblog, and also on the Arsblog Facebook page, which is facebook.com forward slash the Arsblog. And this uh, is where we take the first question from today. It comes from Jack Elvis Booth. That's. Mm. C- do you think it's an it's an Elvis Booth, like a booth in a in a diner full of Elvises? In a diner. That's what I'm imagining. Yeah. That's what I'm picturing here. Oh, um, he says, do you think we will win at least one away fixture from now to the end of the season? No. <laughs> Next question. Next question. <laughs> no, uh, yeah. Shall we look at the away fixtures? Yeah. Um, let's have it. Let's see if we can get them up. I mean, I remember thinking there's a genuine chance that we that we won't. Um, are we counting the European fixtures? I guess they're away games, aren't they? Well, I mean, we've only got the one that we know of so far. So let's stick to let's stick to Premier League. Let's uh, stick to the Premier League. So Brighton, so we, Brighton away, mm. um, Leicester away. I mean, it, that feels like a match that we won't win. Uh, <laughs> Newcastle away, Newcastle. Of course, we could have a four goal head start and still not win that one. <laughs> um, Man Manchester United, United, mm. and then Huddersfield, who might be. You know, right in the midst of a relegation scrap. I think we will. I'm going to go out on a limb and say we will win, win one of those games. <laughs> uh, do you want to? Do you want to like uh, make a bet as to to which one that it is? I think I think we'll beat Brighton. I think we'll beat Brighton. Right. Uh, I don't know about any of the others, including Huddersfield. I really couldn't say. What about you? Um, I think. You're going into that Brighton game after two games against Manchester City. One in a final, which I guess you can compartmentalise a little bit as a one-off occasion, but obviously Manchester City at home, yeah, who knows? Um, Depends what kind of a... Thursday night, curious one. Yeah, it's really weird, that, isn't it? Thursday night. I guess it's because of the the cup final. Sure. uh, The Carabao Cup final. They had to replay it at, at some point. But yeah... Um, you know, there's two big games of big intensity in that week against Manchester City. We could be on top of the world. Equally, we could be absolutely shattered, on you know, floor. and um, Brighton are a reasonably decent side, but... So you think we'll lose that one? <laughs> not, I don't know. Um, on paper, yeah, we could we could win that one. But equally, you know, I've seen us at Swansea and I've seen us at Stoke and I've seen us at Bournemouth and I've seen us against who the hell else did we lose to recently away Watford, from home? Watford, know. you know. We can lose to anybody away from home. We, we can. Really, I mean, genuinely, any any team in this league yeah. can beat us. So I think we will, of course, win one of them or maybe a couple of them, but I don't know which and I don't know how and I don't know why. But no. <laughs> it's just, it's impossible, isn't it, really? It is really hard to say. It is really hard to say. I mean, the home games, are the home games looking any easier? So we have, uh, Man- well, Manchester City, as mm-hmm. you just pointed out. Watford. Watford, Stoke, Southampton, West, West Ham. Ham, and Burnley. So if we're going to pick up points, 
I mean, we already knew this, but it's definitely going to be at the Emirates Stadium, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, you look at those fixtures and you would think, okay, they're very winnable games. You know, Manchester yeah. City aside, which is going to be a, a challenge simply because of how good they are. Um, Watford, Stoke, West Ham and Burnley. You'd be looking for the team, uh, you know, even based on what they've done so far this season at home, you'd be expecting us to win all those games. Um, Absolutely. So, but... Yeah. It's, a, it's anybody's guess away, though. It really, really is. Yeah. Um, and, yeah, it's, it's difficult to see us picking up too many points. On mm. the um, let's have another... I mean, I, I, I will just say, it'd be remiss not to mention this question. Uh, this has come from Jim Lynch, by way of example, at Jim's Lynch. But it's come from pretty much everybody today. Jim just says, why are we so shit? Uh, we are reading those. It's just so difficult to answer them. <laughs> Yeah, if we knew, you know, we'd we try and sell the solution to to Arsenal. We'd patent it and then sell it for a couple of million quid. We throw a big yeah. party. We'd invite all you guys along. We can all have some drinks and uh, celebrate the fact that we're no longer going to be shit because of our our incredible solution. Some of you might say, "Hey, why wouldn't you give it to the club? If you're true supporters, you would donate that solution to the club." But come on, why shouldn't we have a party? Exactly, and get Let's some have a party. Yeah. Everyone else is making a few quid out of Arsenal. Exactly. If Dan can just take a few quid out, then why can't we for fixing everything? Yeah, exactly. You won't be complaining when you've got your, you know, gallon jug of Lambrusco mm. with Arsenal's money. <laughs> <laughs> what a night that'll be. Oh, what a night. Um, let's have this question instead from Dr. Joe Ward. Okay. Doctor himself at Joseph A. Ward underscore. And Joe says, do you not think it's fucking incredible how fast <laughs> Arsenal fans go from hero worshipping our players to hating them from one week to the next? This might happen at other clubs, but frankly, I don't give a toss about other clubs. It's pathetic. Hmm. There were there was another question actually I had which I'm gonna read out here. It's from Big Al at Big Al the Gooner who says, uh, "What should social media networks and social media teams at the club be doing to help our players withstand the vile torrent of abuse they receive online from the supposed Arsenal fan base?" And I guess it's more or less in the in the same ballpark as this one. Um, yeah, there's a few questions like that. I guess because. Mm. I, I mean, I, I'm not sure, but I feel like the inference is that some of it is to do with Lacazette, who, having been Flavour of the Month, you know, a few months ago, uh, it's, it has been the subject of a lot of criticism online. And I, I, there was something involving Alex Awobi on Instagram as well, but I didn't... Uh, I didn't yeah, he put up a message. Uh, yeah, I think we had a question on that as well, actually. Uh, where is it? This is from Gunnar Owl who's at Windiola on Twitter. He says, what do you make of Awobi's comments on Instagram? Surely that's just adding fuel to the fire. Um, will I read out to you what Awobi's comments on Instagram were? I'd love were? to hear it, yeah, yeah. Okay, okay. This, this is what he had to say. Oh, shit, it's gone. <gasps> Ooh. Did somebody... Oh, I'm looking at his Instagram now, and it's gone. I definitely saw the... Uh, I definitely saw a post... I'll tell you what, I've, I've managed to find the text of it. And apparently it said, being an Arsenal fan myself, yesterday's defeat was very disappointing and hard to take. I know it's hard to believe, but we, the players, know exactly how you are feeling. We have another match in a few days. And trust me, we'll be putting in 100% to try and make this right. Massive love to all our fans for your support. What a provocative cunt. What a wanker. <laughs> 
I mean, look. Is that really what stirred up all the all the anger? I guess yeah. so. Look, the people are, as we know, very reactionary. And you could question whether or not players should say things after a defeat like that. But, you know, we live in a world now where people expect stuff from players. And I guess you can't just have it in the good times, can you? If you're following a player or following players because you you enjoy that interaction or you enjoy that that connection with them um, that we we never really had before this accessibility to them, um, you know they're they're not there to just fucking be I don't know what like there for your entertainment. That sometimes they're going to address things which are uncomfortable for them to address, and I'm sure that's not an easy thing for him to have to have come out with knowing if he exists on the internet, that there are going to be people out there who react in, a, in an extremely negative way. Um, you know, there was issues there a couple of weeks ago or last week, wasn't there, with, with Xhaka closing the comments on his Instagram because he's getting yeah. death threats. And people, some people will say, well, you know, you're a professional athlete. Why do you have the comments on? That's not the right answer. That's mm. not the right answer. What there should be is absolutely zero tolerance towards that kind of behavior from fans. Right? Everyone knows that fans are emotional, they get upset and, and everything else. Um, but there's no excuse for abusing somebody or calling them names or wishing them dead or hoping they get injured and break their legs, which I've seen countless times. So that's where the focus should be first and foremost, is not on what players are saying, but on the people who are reacting in that way. There should be zero tolerance for that, both from a societal point of view and also from the point of view of social networks. I can tell you right now that if, and obviously it's a slightly different thing, right? Because this is a direct communication. If Iwobi posts something on Instagram and someone leaves a comment, chances are he's going to see it because people, human nature, you're going to read comments. Yeah. Um, but if someone were to come on Arsblog and say, uh, I hope Alex Iwobi, you know, breaks his legs or wishes Granite Jack a death threat, they're banned from the site completely. They're not allowed to comment and they are banned. And I think this is where perhaps a little bit of the focus needs to go on some of these social media networks. Um, that if you are sending death threats over the internet to, a uh, a footballer of a team that you allegedly support, your account should be closed and you shouldn't be able to use that service. That doesn't seem like an unreasonable point of view to me. But people, they're just allowed. Yeah, I don't think it's unreasonable in the least. I think that's absolutely what should happen. I do think there is a burden on Twitter, on Instagram to police you know, their own medium better. However, do you think there is also something happening uh, among the Arsenal fan base where things are becoming a bit more pernicious, a bit more vindictive, a bit more cruel, maybe? Yeah, probably. But, I, you know, I don't see it. I don't see it because I don't follow people who right. behave like that. And we're all masters yeah. of our own social media experience, right, in terms of who we follow. Uh, you know, we, we, can, um, we can curate our own social media experience if you want to be really wanky about it. And if I were to see somebody pop up on social media saying something like that, I, I just wouldn't, uh, you know, follow them. Or if, if I was following them and they said something like that, I would unfollow them. Um, Fair, there, there, yeah. there is, I, I think you're right, though, there is... Um, a measure of extremism that is becoming a bit more uh, prevalent. And I don't think it, mm. it's just in football and I don't think it's just in Arsenal that people s 
still think that it's okay for them to behave in a way that they wouldn't face to face. Yeah, there's still that disconnect, isn't there, between mm. something online and something in reality. And I think that, you know, although social media is supposedly humanising players, they are often not treated as such. Yeah. How many of those people who were wishing Granite Xhaka a death threat would do it if they were standing right in front of him? None. Yeah. Maybe there'd be one lunatic or idiot or asshole who would feel like he can do it or say it. But, you know, the medium is, is part of the problem. Um, and I get being upset with players and I get... Uh, being angry with players, you know, when they don't perform to a level that you 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 know that they can do better, right? Um, but it still doesn't excuse abuse in any way. There's no justification for that kind of behavior or for 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 bombarding a player or a player's family, for that matter, with abuse or name calling or threats of of any description whatsoever. And I think no, you know, you're, you're right. You know, we have to look at those people and say okay, you might be an Arsenal fan in name, but I disassociate myself completely from you. They are extremists. Mm. That's what they are. Yeah, exactly. I mean, in the same way you would say uh, an extremist, they don't necessarily reflect the views of uh, the broader public. I mean, I think, I would say, and this is in no way a defence of that kind of behaviour, I do suspect that it probably happens across football and that we're attuned to it and noticing it because we are involved and invested in the world of Arsenal. Mm. I'm sure that all fan bases have their extreme elements. And maybe it is exacerbated by poor results, and thus maybe you see that frustration boil over more at Arsenal. But I do think, you know, it's not a novel observation, is it, to say that that's running all through society. There are trolls everywhere. Yeah. Um, and I just think we're exposed to it more as Arsenal fans. I'm sure, you know, I'm sure Paul Pogba comes in for lots of criticism from Manchester United fans. I'm sure some of it is completely unreasonable. Yeah. Um, we just see it. We just see the Arsenal stuff. But it is it is unseemly. And uh, when it, you know, as you say, we curate our own experiences. But when you do encounter it, it is unpleasant. And it would be nice to, if that was kind of clamp down. Yeah, there should be absolutely no tolerance for it whatsoever from anybody who considers himself a decent person. There should be no tolerance for it. Maybe yeah. the tools need to be better to 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 deal with it in terms of how uh, abuse is is dealt with by the social networks. Um that honestly, the minute you threaten somebody's life via Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, whatever it is, you should be banned. Completely and utterly banned as far as that's possible from that service, with no exceptions, no exceptions whatsoever. And I think it's really quite sad, isn't it, that we have Alex Iwobi, who's a 22-year-old kid who's made his way through the academy to the Arsenal first team and is becoming a lightning rod for vitriol and bile and abuse because, okay... Uh, people will say, you know, it's his performances, it's this, it's that, the other. But this is a guy who is an Arsenal fan, who knows what it means to lose to Tottenham, who knows how the fans feel and has reached out, whether it was the right thing to do or whether it was advisable or not. He's tried to communicate directly with fans and he's tried to um, open up a channel of communication. And instead of seeing that for what it is, people are abusing him over it. And it's, yeah. I think it's really sad to see that kind of thing go on. Maybe the answer is just keep quiet. Maybe the answer is not to, to communicate. But that's also a shame as well, isn't it? That because of the actions of some idiots, um, 
you know, those those interactions between players and fans are, are not going to be possible anymore. And if you were a professional footballer, you would think very long and hard about, you know, was it really necessary for you to be on social media? Yeah, Do I mean, you need you know, that we, shit? We, we, like, Yeah, we, we sort of, we'd mocked a little bit and took the, the mickey out of Aaron Ramsey earlier, calling him not exactly Mr. Charisma, but... I mean, imagine if Aaron Ramsey was putting himself out there all over social media, communicating with fans all the time. Imagine the stick he would let himself in for. I'm sure no that he, he, I'm likes sure he does get yeah, Exactly. I mean, he is on Instagram and he does tweet about rhinos and shit or hippos yeah, or yeah. whatever it is. But, you know, to every message, there's a litany of responses which are just abusive and vile. And uh, it's a really unpleasant part of our society and a really uh, unpleasant part of our, our online lives. Uh, these days that it is so it is so caustic and it is so um it's just well, there all the time everywhere. isn't it yeah it's yeah, everywhere yeah. it's everywhere yeah <sighs> all right okay here's a here's a question from misha watson who's at misha watson he says in arson's post-match comments he talks about some players not being able to physically maintain their performance over 90 mm. minutes who do you think he's referring to and he uh, has a little clip here of what came out um, in the post-match interview on what the difference between the first half and the second half was and Arsene Wenger says if you look at the physical numbers in the first half we were quite even but in the second half some players dropped and the distances we covered in the second half was inferior to them they could maintain it and some players in our team can not. Is that the sound of Jack Wilshire's contract being hastily <laughs> adjusted? <laughs> I mean, I, I I don't know. I mean, he would be one who you would wonder about, I guess, in terms of the physical intensity. Arsene must have looked at those numbers pretty quickly after the game in order to produce that explanation. Um, I mean, I mean, to, to be honest, you could go right through the team and say we didn't look like we matched them for physical intensity for the most part. I think Bellerin would be an exception, you know, in that. Um, I, I don't know. I mean, he, I mean, Wilshire is the one who springs to mind simply because, you know, that's some, a problem we've talked about in the past with him. Does he have the stamina to, mm. to keep that up over 90 minutes? I mean, Shaka is another one. You know, you wouldn't list legs among his, his best quality. Um, mm. Anyone else springs to mind for you particularly? No, I mean, I... I maybe Shaka, but, you know... I'm not sure that was it. I'm not sure that um, it was the distances, really. That was the difference, was it? Was it the dif- was it because they ran a bit further than us? I think that's more of a symptom than a cause, mm. to be honest. Yeah. Um, yeah. I do think that we, he's right in that we lacked intensity, and in some ways that's reflective of that. But I think it, that was aspects in it in what we did with the ball as much as what we did without it. Yeah. Uh, that's the thing. It's not a team with one problem. It's a team with multiple problems. Yeah, yeah. And look, you, you look at some of these players and they haven't really played European football this season. That the the players yeah, who how, would have how played... How they look so tired? Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, the players that would have played six games by now in the Champions League on top of everything else haven't done that. And they've had these basically weeks, you know, a full week between games. But mm. yeah, I, again, I think it's it's impossible to look at these kind of things as, as the main issue. You know, it's uh, 
it's all part of the bigger problem, isn't it? That we have an unbalanced team which lacks consistency, which has problems away from home, which has psychological issues, which doesn't cope well with games in-game. You know, the in-game management, whether it's from the sideline or on the pitch, is often not great. And yeah, I think... It feels a bit desperate, a bit like we're looking for answers um, all over the place, and it's just part of a part of a bigger picture. Yeah, I mean, I think to a certain extent as well. You know, Arsene Wenger is a, a, a guy who's prepared to take responsibility when necessary, but sometimes I feel after games at the moment that some of the excuses I want to say that he provides for the performances feel like a bit of a you know, a, a classic managerial tactic, a distraction almost. It's like it's diverting attention from himself to an extent. I don't mm. even know if he's consciously doing it. But, you know, he's he's going out there saying our defence isn't good enough or we're not scoring enough goals or we're not making enough sprints because he's not going to sit there and say, well, I can't get this team playing. Um, so I think there is a little bit of that, of the groping for causes when I think all of us have a, a great suspicion about what the underlying cause might be. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Um, is it my question? I think so. Okay. What do you think of this one? This is from Clock and Dom. And Dom says on Twitter, given that we're probably going to finish sixth this year, regardless of what we do, should Arsene Wenger play Chambers and Holding in the Premier League from now on? The experience they gain together may make them an option for next season, brackets for the next manager. Um, do you want to play Manchester City with Callum Chambers and Rob Holding? <laughs> genuine question. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. I don't really want to play them with Koscielny and Mustafi, to be honest. I get but, that. Yeah. Um, um, can we put them all on the pitch? Can we play four centre-backs? Yeah. Uh, we haven't tried it yet. Um, I, yeah, I take your point. I take your point there. However, I do think... I don't know how close we are to, to... I don't know if we can afford to write off this Premier League campaign. That's the problem, isn't it? Things could get really bad if we if we do... if we let it go any further than we have. Yeah. I mean, it does feel like we're at a point where we might as well just try some shit because what else have we got to lose at mm. this point, right? What, what you protect your first-team players for the Europa League, potentially. Yeah, maybe so. Maybe so. Um, you know, given the way that... Midfield has been an issue. Why don't we, if we're going to play three in midfield, why don't we give Ainsley Maitland-Niles a little run out? Mm. Um, maybe not against someone like Manchester City or maybe against Manchester uh, City. He's played him in big games before. But, you know, if you're going to Brighton or if you're going to uh, Huddersfield or you're playing Stoke at home, why not give him a go in there? Because at this point, we really have nothing left to lose. Um, mm. That that Even that bit of something different might make it interesting again, might make it a bit more exciting. Whether it works or not is another question, but uh, I'm not sure about the chambers and holding thing. Do you actually do them any benefit? Do you do them any good playing them without giving them, let's say, the, the necessary platform or coaching? Just telling them, go on out there and play, lads. See if you can See if you can make it. I mean, I find it... I find it hard to look beyond the idea that another manager might come in and get more out of some of the players that we have, you know, with more organization, with a better system. Like if someone was to ask you, uh, a non-football fan, someone okay. was to come up to you and ask you, what 
is it that Arsenal do? How do Arsenal try and play football these days? What would your answer be? <sighs> the hardest question of the day, probably. Uh, I think I would, I mean, I would just <laughs> describe it as firefighting, I think. It's just like they wait till there's a problem and then they try desperately to solve it. Mm. Like I it's said, not great, is it? No, it's not because you you could go back you go back three or four years and you could say, okay, this is the way that we try and play. You know, we're technical. Mm. We've got good quality on the ball. We like to keep possession. We like to dominate the ball. We're perhaps a little bit, you know, we lack a bit of incision, but. Generally speaking, this is the way that we like to play. We like to build up from the back. We like to move the ball quickly, um, get it into our uh, into dangerous areas, score nice goals. You know, we had a, a philosophy based on attacking football. And now it's like, I don't know. I do not know what we're trying to do or how we're trying to do it or what the manager thinks he's trying to do with this group of players. And I do, I, I just... You know, you look at the formation changes, you look at the personnel changes. He is, like you say, in some ways, firefighting. He is trying to put together a list of ingredients or put together a mix that works. And sometimes it works. Sometimes you get a good a good game and a good performance. But for the most part, even when we've won games this season, it hasn't been because we've been brilliant. It's because we've just been slightly better than the opposition or we, we've taken our chances. Um mm. You know, uh, I, let's look. I mean, we've played, have we played 40 games this season? 40 games, won 20, drawn 10, lost 10. The very epitome yeah. of inconsistency right there, isn't it? It really is. It really is. And yeah, I mean, I was fascinated by Wenger's comments. I think I think it was after the transfer window or maybe after the Everton game. He talked about our, our game being in part based upon emotion. Almost, you know, like... Yeah. Was that what he said? No, he said it was based on a collective spirit. Right. And I think that was interesting because I would say that's the one thing around the club that for the past few years has kind of diminished and diminished. I mean, you know, however, whatever sticking plasters you put over it, be that an FA Cup win, be that a record signing, that collective spirit, uh, between players, between fans, seems to be evaporating over time. Mm. Um, and if that's the thing that he really feels our game kind of hinges upon, that's the one thing that we don't have at the moment at all. And it, it, it just seems to be sort of, yeah, emanating out of the club. It seems time. a bit like airy-fairy, doesn't it, though, to an extent? Of course. Our, of course. You know, our, our game is based on solid defence. Our game is based on organisation. Uh, our game is based on tactical awareness. Our game is based on uh, attacking football. Fine. Our game is based on collective spirit. What does that mean? <laughs> you know, what does, it, know. what does it really mean? I know, I know kind of what he's saying, but it's not really... It's not really a, a way to, to build a team, is it? You know, this idea, and we've spoken about it countless times, go out and express yourself or go out and play the football you want to play. You know, you need more. It doesn't feel the most rigorous, yeah. that's for sure. Well, here's a question from Peter Host-Hust, perhaps, uh, who's at Peter Hust. And he says, what has actually happened to Arsene Wenger? How do you see him now compared to 10 or 15 years ago? Uh, that's a really interesting 
question. I think that if I'm honest, I, I think that what's happened is that he has become uh, from being a, a manager who I would describe as a visionary, who always looked like he had a long-term plan, which I think made some of our struggles when they did come more palatable because you had a sense mm. of there being, well, in five years we might be here or you know, in three years we might be here. I think he's become a reactionary manager who necessarily due to, I guess, the increasingly short-term nature of his career and the short-term contracts that he's on, spends his time trying to fix immediate, trying and failing to tinkering constantly rather than implementing any kind of strategy. Mm. And I think that's the biggest change, probably. How much of that do you think is down to what's going on around him with other teams in the Premier League and other teams with, you know, bigger resources and and, uh, and everything else? Um, or is it, how much of it is just on him? Well, I think that it, that is probably a factor in that, like, the, there was a time in the early 2000s or let's say from 2006 when we moved into Emirates Stadium where you could say, okay, let's implement this long-term strategy and we will be able to maintain a place in the top four while we do that. Mm. I think now the competition is too intense. Um, But I also think that his behaviour betrays a man who is very, very scared of losing his job, who's, you know... I don't say that to to be cruel, but I think there is a fear for him of life after Arsenal. And I think that the constant attempts to kind of resuscitate the team, I mean, honestly, it's like he's, you know, trying to restart the heart every time spring rolls around, are as much an attempt to resuscitate his own career. I think that he he does not want to go Mm. um, because he's had so many opportunities before. And I think that that... (sighs) I think that that fear is actually quite a negative force. I think there was a time when Arsene Wenger almost seemed impervious to pressures of football. Like, if you think back to, I know it's easier when you're winning, I know, but this was a man who could, you know, be courted by the Real Madrids and the Barcelonas and brush it off and not feel anything. And, you know, it's he now seems affected so much more. Uh, It's... it's, um, it's not something I've sort of, you know, taken any great pleasure in at all because I still really like Arsene Wenger as a guy. I think he's a, I think he's a terrific person. Mm. Uh, but he is a he is a different man now, as anybody would be, fifteen years on. People do change and go through different periods in their work and in their life. Mm. Uh, what, uh, yeah, what, I mean, what do you make of what? What do you think's happened? to Arsene Wenger what's happened has anything happened to Arsene Wenger or have things happened to Arsenal and he's been a victim of those I think time that's all I think it's just time Um, things change in any industry Uh, that's true of football it's true of you know all all kinds of jobs and and, uh, he was at one point uh, an absolutely brilliant manager like revolutionary and you you can only listen to ex players even some of the ones that people think now are 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 bad people because they dare to be critical of Arsene Wenger but to a man every single one of them will say this guy was amazing for me he extended my career he brought me success he made me a better player etc cetera, etc cetera. um you know he 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 did so much for arsenal he did so much for english football um, but over the years, football has changed 
And he probably hasn't really, in terms of how he views the game and the way that it should be played or how he thinks it should be played. Um, I know he's embraced certain things like stats and, uh, you know, stat DNA. Uh, he's, uh, we've heard him talk about expected goals and, and all that kind of stuff. So, you know, I think you hear people say he doesn't have a clue. He doesn't know what he's doing. He's a fraud and all this kind of stuff. It's absolute nonsense. It's, you know, you can't do what he's done in football um, without being absolutely brilliant, which he has been. And, you know, other managers say it. Uh, players from other teams say it. Players who come to Arsenal say, I've come to Arsenal because uh, I want to work with Arsene Wenger. But I just think... He's now 68 years of age. Football is moving on. He's getting older. I think there comes a point where at any club or any job, things can go a bit stale. And I think that's what's happened. Maybe his eye for talent is not quite as good as it was. Maybe his motivation is not quite as good as it was. Maybe his approach to building a team is not quite as good as it was. And I'm not saying that he's terrible or anything like that. I'm just saying that if your level drops, regardless of how hard you work, and I think we know Arsene Wenger works extremely hard. He's a workaholic. He will do whatever it takes to try and get his team to win and to be successful. We know that. You can see him on the sideline. It pains him when we don't win or when we play poorly. But I just think there comes a point where you're not capable of producing what you produced in the past, that your level drops and doesn't matter what you do, you're not going to be able to do what you did before. You, Everybody in every job or in every walk of life, they have a peak where they're the best they can be at that particular thing. And I think that clearly is sometime in the past for Arsene Wenger. And I think that's yeah. all it is. And that's the way I look at him. And like you, I think I really like him. I mean, he drives me mad sometimes. You hear some of the stuff he says, and it's like, oh, my goodness. But then you see an, an interview with him or, you know, he'll address an issue in a press conference. And, uh, you know, he's, he's a brilliant, intelligent man. But I do think maybe he needs somebody just to put an arm around him and say, look, it's time now. Summer is time. And you can walk away and people will remember the good stuff that you did. I know in in uh, in the difficult times, people focus a bit too much on the negative things or it becomes hard to remember all the good things. But I think, you know, in, in time with a bit of distance, <clears throat> you know, he will be remembered as one of the greatest managers in Premier League history, certainly in Arsenal's history. But I just don't think he's capable of doing what or matching the standards that he set at Arsenal. I just don't think that's, he can do it. Yeah, that's it. That's it. And I'm, it's not a certainty that anybody else would be able to, but it's kind of sad to see him fail to match the, his own standards. I think that adds slightly to the to the sadness. Mm. I mean, this was a, a question we had from Joe Laycock on Facebook. And uh, Joe said, if Andrew's correct in his theory, we may well change manager this summer. How do you envisage this being enacted by the club? And how would it be presented to the Arsenal fans? Have you given any thought to that at all? How you how you actually think practically this might come about? Um, I think it it really depends on results, doesn't it? It depends on depends on how the rest of the season goes from a Premier League point of view. Yeah, and from a Europa League point of view, it mm. could happen after the Europa League final. You know, if we win the Europa League final, what a 
you know, what a brilliant way. And I hope, obviously, that we win the Europa League. I really do. But I hope he doesn't ta- uh, miss another opportunity to go out on a high. No, surely. I really do. Because, you know, even, even after the FA Cup final win against Chelsea, uh, and I kind of spoken about this before many times, but I kind of understood the, even if I didn't necessarily agree with it, I kind of understood why the club and Wenger kept going the way they were going because they weren't ready for change. And, you know, we've seen the implementation of a director of football now and a head of recruitment and all those things, which make us better place to replace the manager. But um, it would be a real shame if we were to win the Europa League that he didn't look at that as a brilliant way of going out and saying, I've put a European trophy in the, in the cabinet. You know, it's my final act as an Arsenal manager is to to win a European trophy. It's been amazing. Thank you very much. And you think of the goodwill that he would go off with. Um, mm-hmm. If we crash out of the Europa League and if results in the Premier League continue to be as patchy and inconsistent and some of the performances are, are like what we saw against Tottenham, then it's hard to it's hard to look beyond it being a little bit more acrimonious than that. You know, people are going to get very irate. People are going to be unhappy. People who are already fed up are going to get even more fed up. And, you know, it could be a much more difficult way. So there's a good way for it to happen and a bad way for it to happen. I hope it's I hope it's the good way. Um, I, I would love that. I would, I would love that to be uh, the way I swing about out with a piece of silverware. It, it frustrates me that. He, he has had the chance to do that in the past and hasn't taken it. I guess there's a selflessness about that to an extent. But what I do think is that if if it is to be that, whatever the circumstances, if we win a trophy or we don't, I can't see him uh, announcing it immediately after a game because I do think there is still that part of him that would see it as, well, I don't want to detract from my, my player's achievement. Oh, you know, yeah. I mean, I don't mean like literally 10 seconds afterwards, but I mean in no. in, in the days... You know, yeah. or, you know, after that, that would be probably a great time to make that announcement. I don't mean he's going to lift a trophy and then, you know, lift up a T-shirt going, you know, Wenger out. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Unfurl a big banner. Yeah, me out. You know, it's, yeah. it's not going to happen like that. But, you know, there's a way for it. would be good. Yeah, it would be, be pretty fucking self-aware, <laughs> wouldn't it? That'd be... Yeah. Um, but look... We'll just have to wait and see. And like we try to do with the away fixtures, I've got no clue how the rest of this season is going to go. It's just impossible to know or say with any certainty which way things are going to go. So I'm keeping fingers crossed that they go a good way for us because, um, you know, I think as uh, as fans, you want it, You don't want to see your club in turmoil, do you? You don't want to see your club you know, dealing with um, nastiness or bitterness or, or anything like that. So I am, you know, like I said, I hope it goes the good way. That's all. Yeah. Well, I think probably most sensible Arsenal fans <laughs> feel that too. Mm. Mm. All right. Well, look, uh, I think we're going to leave it there because uh, there's not a lot else to talk about after uh, no. after the weekend that was. So uh, thank you as ever for listening, everybody. I really appreciate it. Uh, we've got Ostersons on... Thursday evening. Thursday evening. Yeah. yeah. So we'll have a we'll have a podcast. We'll have an Arscast for you on Friday. Um, there's no football next weekend, James. No Arsenal. No. Mm. No. We've gone out of the FA Cup. Two Europa League games in a row. Yeah. Lucky old Lacazette. Yes. Yeah. Well, let's hope he can get back on track because that would be a, a positive thing too. Anyway, we'll catch you on the Arscast extra next Monday. Until then, have a good one. Bye bye.
Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.